What is good, guys and gals, and welcome to the Films and Pixels podcast, episode 19. I am your host, Afif. Now, for this week's topics, there's a lot that I want to discuss, and thankfully, I have some topics and ideas that I want to talk about. So first, I uh, for sure, I wanted to review The Northman. I know that the movie, I think, came out last month, mid to late April, but uh, it arrived like a week ago in cinema, so it's a good thing I got to see it. Some news regarding Daredevil and Disney+. Plus. I'll get on to that. Speaking of Disney+, Plus, I'll be talking about the controversy regarding She-Hulk, attorney at law CGI, and why that has made a lot of people upset. Uh, plus, uh, my experience finally going back playing Middle-Earth, Shadow of War. Um, also, I want to react and give my thoughts on why I'm not okay with this uh, Stan Lee licensing deal that was announced. Uh, plus, I'm going to react to three major trailers. Uh, just give my quick thoughts on it. And what did Master Chief do? Master Chief did What? I mean, Master Chief did what on TV? Oh my God, yo! Uh, I'm like, it, it's it's crazy and kind of terrible at the same time. <laughs> kind of a mess, but uh, yeah, I'll get on. I'll, what I should say, I'll uh, speak on that in a moment. But before I move forward and get on with episode 19, if you have not done so before, as I've said, subscribe to the channel. Like and follow the pages. Comment in the comment section below. The engagement is always welcome. And again, subscribe. It helps an independent channel like this. And also don't forget to listen on the streaming platforms, wherever you got them, whatever you use. Anrami, Spotify, Deezer, Google Podcasts, and more. So please listen to them. But, uh, you know, without further ado, let's get going. All right, so now just, uh, I think it was very recently, The Northman has been released to theaters, even though it's been premiering and showcasing since April. Uh, You know, press interviews from director Robert Eggers as well, and the cast members. So I'm happy to finally talk about this movie. And in order to really understand this kind of movie, you have to go back to to his other two films, uh, like The Witch and The Lighthouse, which... um, Whoops, awkward wording. What I should say, both films, as they are otherwise, uh, excellent films, but the tone can be very dark and aggressive, and this movie is no exception. And you know, like even watching it, it like in the first act, especially early on, it became immediately clear there's a lot of these scenes where, you know, the actors are like in these pitch dark black rooms with like these soft warm lights and once again speaking like this old Shakespearean English that's been used and seen before so it it's not like again like if you know Robert Eggers his early filmmaking work like it's uh, you get the idea what's gonna come but I still like the cast, you know, Alex, Alexander Skarsgård, the main character of Prince Amaleth. This is a revenge tale. And once again, there's Anya Taylor-Joy, Will, Willem Dafoe. Uh, Eggers has worked with both of them before on his other two films. 
So it's no shock that they signed up for this movie. You know, so it's a good thing. And part of the reason why this whole movie, like, finally came together, it's because Skarsgård, uh, I don't know, Skarsgård, I think there's an uh, some kind of accent mark on his name, but I'm just going to try Skarsgård. Like, uh, for several years, uh, he's from Sweden, so he really wanted to, you know, act and play in this kind of Viking movie as well. And, you know, after meeting with Eggers, like, he finally got the project ongoing and collaborated with him. So that's a really good thing. And the more, like, as I'm watching um, The Northman throughout, like, it immediately became clear that this is so much like, uh, again, another Shakespearean inspiration of his play Hamlet. The one where, like, a young prince, you know, witnesses the death of his father from his uncle, grows up, avenges him, and takes his rightful place. That story might actually seem familiar. Hamlet, I'm, I'm sure you're aware by now, was used in The Lion King. So, in a way, this movie and The Lion King mirror Hamlet. Although in terms of tone and violence and all that, you can tell it's totally different. One is obviously more friendly-friendly, family-friendly and kids and all that. So you get the idea there. But it doesn't really stay in that overall story arc from Hamlet. I noticed in the third film, there's like this uh, unexpected twist from one of the characters played by Nicole Kidman. I don't want to spoil it, but it, I thought that was a well thought of twist. And again, before I go on, can I just say something here? Is it me or like, does there seem to be more of this? these like, uh, I don't know, like, aggressive almost violent scenes between Skarsgård and Nicole Kidman what is up with that like I you know it was running in my mind like even after that kind of scene together in the third act how is it that they were like okay with working together after you know all the crazy violence from big little lies between both of them like I would have just been like you know what a lot happened just move on. So like the, I think the fact that both of them seemingly were okay with working together again was kind of unexpected to me. But but yeah, like anyway. Um, so again, this is the kind of movie. There's no fear or any shortage of showing any blood, rims being cut out, even like organs. So I'm fine with that. I like the gore. So it's not exactly a surprise that there's the gore. And this is like a revenge tale. How historically accurate it is, I think that's up for debate. There are some inaccuracies as well. There was supposed to be, I think, somewhere like a battle scene. There's a like, uh, no, um, Viking culture. They scavenge and, uh, you know, they take over the lands. You know, if you're familiar with the Vikings TV series, you know that Vikings raid farms and villages. So, of course, there was something like that and, you know, kidnapping kids and, women you you get the idea it's the kind of viking culture of conquering villages in a small boat as a small group and there was that's no exception there in this in the second act after prince amalith grows up you know so and i think it was supposedly um i think it was somewhere in england but just for the filming but what i'm trying to say is that in terms of, again, historical accuracies, they were supposedly going to film in Ukraine. 
But we know the situation in Ukraine. I don't need to or want to get onto that. So things just had to change for filmmaking purposes, you know? But yeah, like also in Iceland, you know, part of the story was also in Iceland from the second, even throughout the third act. That was the important thing as well. And so like Amalith uh, was in pretending to be a slave, befriending Olga, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. Obviously their own relationship further developed from there. And even um, willingly stabbed and killed his stepbrothers, Thorir. And yeah, there's another one. So you get the idea of how a lot of blood and gore, all that stuff. Now, I liked his performance once again for Alex Alexander Skarsgård. You know, for someone who's done like, um, you know, the roles, whether it's Big Little Lies or even like we saw The Legend of Tarzan, he's good with this sort of thing of being like this character filled with rage. So he brought the rage once more in this movie. And I thought that was a well-played performance there. You know, so... Um, I definitely recommend this movie. I, it's it is definitely worth a watch, and I like the twist. If there's anything I liked, is that the opening shot, the first frame, was in this volcano, and then it ends in a volcano. So again, I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm spoiling some plot points, but I mean, it's been a month anyway. But that that's what I really liked more than anything, like how it started and how it ended, in terms of like using the volcano and sort of thing and and all that. Of course, there was also Ethan Hawke. He was only there in the beginning. He was um, played Omelette's father as his king. So we don't need to get much into that. Of course, Willem Dafoe, kind of like his, uh, not creepy, but almost like this villainous sort of thing. Not really a villain, but you kind of tell. Like there are still some Green Goblin vibes that I really liked is what I'm trying to say, you know. Uh, and he met his fate, but so um, it's a good thing. Like it concentrated more on Omelith, you know, and seeing as uh, Olga's future, he wanted to make the sacrifice, realizing that if Fjolnir is gone, you know, his own family will be safe. And again, like you know, um, listening and watching the way they were speaking this old Shakespearean English, like it was easy to follow along the plot. You know, it was easy to understand because that's how his other two films for Robert Eggers was done before. So, again, if you're familiar with his other films, you'll understand this one. This is still definitely worth a watch. Not perfect, but still an excellent film. Still has like already what I think is like early trademarks of like intense, aggressive, you know, filming in dark rooms, soft, warm lights. These are just little elements that I've noticed thus far uh, in his movies. But yeah, if you haven't caught it in, in uh, cinemas by now, go ahead. It's probably the best chance before other movies come in June. So the majority of you may be aware by now that news broke that a Daredevil possibly continuation series will go on and really be in development on Disney+. Plus. So Daredevil series coming to Disney Plus is just in the development stage. 
What does that mean? Is this a reboot of the series that we saw for throughout three seasons on Netflix? Or is, is this going to be a season four, but on Disney Plus or a reboot? Is it going to be the, sta- the same lead actor, Charlie Cox, in it? Uh, I, at least I hope he comes back. He did, after all, make a very nice, awesome cameo in uh, No Way Home. So I hope he does come back. Um, it would be weird if it's a reboot. But I hope, again, I like it if there is season four. It does make sense to continue the story left off from the third season when he finally dealt with Wilson Fisk. Um, uh, in that regard, I'm just a little concerned about something, and this won't be a surprise when I mention it. It's about the whole Disney branding. It's no surprise or any secret that they're more of a family-friendly company, one of those family-friendly companies that doesn't tolerate much violence, gore, blood, torn off organs and limbs and all that stuff, you know, all that sort of R-rated content that we saw on Netflix, you know, and throughout the three seasons, it really did uh, get a lot of critical acclaim. Now, maybe some people may feel a little differently about season two. Season two was still very good. I I didn't think the whole Frank Castle Punisher uh, introduction was so much of a distraction. I know that maybe it might have gotten the way for some people, but I like that whole Punisher thing and the two of them fighting. But still, going back to the Disney Plus development, I think, like, again, I'm glad that it'll continue. There is an announcement, but it's still very early. So I take it with some level of excitement, like cautiously optimistic. You know, just be cautiously optimistic because this is a really good thing. Like when you think of the previous Marvel Netflix shows, um, you know, there was a, that one in particular, and I, I guess I would say Luke Cage, very well liked. Jessica Jones, very good. I'll talk about Jessica Jones in just a bit. I was fine with the Defenders limited series. Uh, it's Iron Fist that clearly was like the black sheep, the ugly duckling, really the lowest rating and most disappointed, pointing, the more disappointing of the Netflix show. So throughout the Defenders saga, as it's called, and plus there was two seasons of the Punisher. But again, I apologize not to deviate further from the main topic. But I think this is a wait and see approach on where it'll go from there. But if it's going to tone down the aggression, the darkness, even the violence, even like less of the blood, I think it sort of takes away the identity of what really worked in the first place on Netflix. But we kind of knew this was happening when the whole licensing agreement came to an end at some point. So yeah, we'll just, um, I, I think if we're just patient, maybe the results that we're looking for may come. Another Disney Plus trailer was just available online, and it's the She-Hulk Attorney at Law the limited series. I don't know if it's going to be just a limited one series thing, or they're going to, there's going to be a second se- season, but it is coming August 17, Disney Plus. Another MCU-related show throughout throughout the Phase 4 era. All good to see and all that good stuff. But there's just one obvious problem. Everyone that's watched the trailer has been very vocal and 
very much upset about the CGI. Now look, you know, like we can't just go start backlashing and attacking everyone involved in this project, even though it's understandable. Visual effects artists have made it clear that if this is want, what the heads at Marvel wanted, then this is what's going to happen. How the, the CGI will be used, all that good stuff. So we just have to accept it. You know, from now until August 17, maybe it'll improve. But we just have to accept and understand that there has to be budget cuts made into like how uh, the CGI is used on the character, you know. I still like the trailer for the most part. I'm glad Mark Ruffalo is coming back as Bruce Banner Hulk. I was kind of surprised that um, Tim Roth is back as Emil Blonsky. I, you know, here's the thing. I love how with Tim Roth coming back as Emil Blonsky, this is the second time he's playing the role since 2008's The Incredible Hulk. It's almost like in recent years, there's been so much effort to just making sure we know and remember like, yeah, that movie, that was still an MCU film. It's the second MCU film. That still happened. That was still in phase one. It's just kind of interesting how they're like little subtle ways of like reminding us. Of course, there's still going to be Abomination in the limited series. Even Abomination was seen in Shang-Chi and The Legend of Ten Rings. And even Wong will come back for the show. So I just love how they're like little things that just kind of like letting us know like, hey, you know, remember that movie where it was still there. Don't forget about it. It's still like letting us know. I only saw the trailer once, but like enough photos and all kind of memes, like letting us know, like complaints about CGI, like how it was used even for the character of Jennifer Walters, like being green in her day-to-day -day life as a lawyer or dating men in restaurants. So I think like maybe like in those civilization moments, interacting with normal people, that could have been cut down, save the money, but we just have to understand that as impressive as maybe like a lot of major TV shows that use special effects are, we just have to accept that certain studios, certain production companies have, I guess, the limited budget of the effects used for some scenes or for some of the characters. There, there has to be some cutbacks is what I'm trying to say. There has to be some cutbacks in how much of the CGI can be used. It's not different where... You know, you can have a lot of money and support from major film studios when doing a full feature length movie itself. So this is was, let's say like, if that whole serialized format of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, was instead filmed as a whole movie instead of a, I think, what, six or nine episode? I think it may have been done differently through production phase. So... I think that's just my take on it. I, I find the reactions and the complaints kind of interesting. But um, if these are the early indications, I'm kind of worried that this might turn into a major flop in the Phase 4 era. And Phase 4, so far, not terrible or anything, but not exactly the most favorable. There have been some pretty good TV side of things throughout Phase 4 at least from last year. But I mean, like, you know, if the trailer showed us anything, is that this might actually be a major flop, like one of those 
six out of 10 sort of things. It's too early to tell. The schedule is already now in May since like the beginning of the month. Uh, Multiverse of Madness. And then June will be for Miss Marvel. July is for Thor Love and Thunder. And then August is for She-Hulk Attorney at the Law. So you, we can, like, you can tell, like, from here till August, I don't know about the rest of that, there's already some pretty good Marvel Phase 4 content coming in. But still, at least we have a lot to look forward to. Let's just see how the final product goes on TV. Alright, so for this topic, I wanted to bring into attention and to light because I think this is something that I really wanted to mention. And it's about this news regarding this whole um stanley licensing deal where it seems like there's now a new agreement that they can use digital archive footage of stanley and more mcu cameos and you know what for me personally i'm not on board with this idea i don't like it in the slightest like it just to me it it just looks like his memories are somewhat being used for corporate cash grab and sort of in violation, uh, you know, of uh, his likeness, so to speak. And, you know, I'm not sure that even um, the family estate of Stanley, especially his daughter and and maybe some of his extended relatives as, as well. I don't know. I'm sure like they had some sort of say, like maybe to me, like it's clear that they somehow gave permission for this to happen. And I'm not sure it's a great idea unless it's a way for them to also get some sort of financial compensation. I mean, I know that like his cameos throughout like phase one through phase three, they've always been memorable and all that good stuff, especially like non-MCU films even before and after the whole franchise started. But I just don't think like it's such a wise idea. It, it like it, it doesn't feel right to me. You know, if you wanted to use a cameo, why not like just in my suggestion, how about someone like Deadpool and like one of those scenes where he does like funny cameos. I know like as well as an actor like Ryan Reynolds, you know, very much busy acting, maybe even producing other films, whether it's on Netflix, which he's been very much active on or on other projects. But either Deadpool or like don't do any cameo at all. Like it just it doesn't look right at the end. You know what I mean? Like we have, like we've seen some movies since then, or really like all of them since the Phase Three. By the time Phase Four has started, like no kind of cameo, and while it is a bit awkward, it it's like fine that like you're not violating uh, someone's memory in in the name of cash grab, corporate cash grab, you know. Um, I I just don't think it's the wisest idea. That's why like. It bothers me because like, you know, you can't just do that. Like just use archive footage of someone and just place them in a scene. And, and, it, and it's like, okay, nice to see you again. But like, you know, it, it's, it's not authentic and real. I don't like how this sort of deal will present itself as lacking authentic, authenticity of the real person in a single scene in every frame. So yeah, I, I hope. This sort of deal doesn't go on because I just would have preferred personally if it just stops. Here's the thing for me that I want to mention. Uh, you know, recently I decided to 
go back into my gaming catalog. And one of the games that I'm really glad that long time ago I got at a cheap price and played once more is Middle Earth Shadow of War. And you know what? I'm really glad I did. I actually really, really do like this game. It is seriously fantastic. Now look, a lot of critics and maybe some fans like to give it a 7 out of 10 kind of score, even 7.5. I think it deserves 8 out of 10 or even 9 out of 10. Like 8 or higher is really the right score for me. Now granted, I get it. Initially, there was some backlash regarding the recent edition. Not recent, but random edition, I should say, of microtransactions. I mean, for a single-player open-world type game, I think that was really weird, and it did turn off a lot of people. So, since then, like, it was completely removed, and the game is better for it. So, yeah, the whole microtransactions thing was kind of weird. Especially since at a time when other companies did upset a lot of the consumers for microtransactions, whether in sports games or shooting games. So, this is a wise, that was a wise choice at the time. So definitely the, the gameplay I thought like really improved significantly from its previous game back in 2014, uh, Shadow of Mordor. Shadow of War was released in 2017, so there was a three-year gap between both games. So again, like gameplay significantly improved in so many ways that like the flow of the movement, the combat, it's just really great. Like it really gets you into it. Uh, Story-wise, from beginning to end. It's all right. It's still pretty good. Mostly solid. I would say like it's still on par from Shadow of Mordor. You know, I thought like both are still pretty good, pretty pretty solid. So that's fine by me. Even graphically, I thought like um, you know, even graphically there was more of an uptick. Even the character models look better, especially Italian. And then like recently, I went back to Shadow of Mordor, and I still like the graphics. I don't know. I was still surprised how even impressive. Uh, the graphics of Mordor really were, you know. And if there's anything I like about the Nemesis system, which is a really unique and somewhat innovative gaming mechanic that since then has been patented so that it's not used so much in other games. It's like these personal interactions with enemies. I mean, like, it's kind of fascinating. You meet, like, uh, enemy orcs, whether they're captains or war chiefs or, or even overlords, right? And I don't know, like, the writing team, like, came up with all these, like, seriously well clever dialogue. Like, how is it that they came up with, like, all these lines for all these orcs? It's it's uh, really amazing, the algorithm, the AI enemies, how they're used. And you know what? It's like, even the battles between them are more personal. Yes, there are, of course, there are stats about strengths and weaknesses. But now either they can betray you, defy death, uh even ambush you randomly, you know? Or if they have a blood brother, they'll take vengeance on you. Or, or even like one of the best parts you can send, like as when you recruit an orc and force them, as you dominate their mind, you recruit them, you can make them their spy infiltrate war, war chiefs and eventually betray them. You know, so like, now the battles become much more tougher and personal. Like, as once more, even when you fight uh, orcs, the more they come at you, the more overwhelming. So I like how that can be really challenging as well, you know? And uh, of course, there's that whole obligatory skill tree, which is fine by me. If there's anything, I like how um, 
you acquire a major skill first. And then there's like these other uh, skills that modifies the main one. You know what I mean? Like these little modifications for a skill that you need to acquire with a skill point that modifies the ability that you have. And like you can change it. You can only pick one like out of the two or three. You'll know what I mean when you like see some sort of gameplay footage on YouTube. It's really cool as it allows you to customize sort of your play style and how you deal with the enemies in different worlds, you know? Okay, so if there's one thing I sort of had an issue with, I would say it's the design of Shelob. Uh, Shelob's like this famous spider, well-known spider creature. Um, I think from the Middle Earth uh, novels and all that, especially in the Lord of the Rings trilogy films, I think in the second and third film, if I'm correct, just more like this uh, giant spider. So it was a bit weird, like the Shelob design was more of like this woman-like, almost human figure, you know, and, and even like seductive in an evil way. It's kind of a bit weird. But if you do like the side quest of collecting uh, Shelob memories, seeing the past and future, you do see that transformation. But I just thought that was a bit weird, the uh, Shelob character design. Uh, unlike before, uh, previous game, two regions to go through, conquer, find collectibles and all that. There's still the collectibles and all that good stuff. Uh, this time, there's five regions to go to. So uh, the world of Mordor is really expanded in this game that I really liked. And if there's a new gameplay addition I really liked, is not just building up your army, but upgrading your sieges. That way, because like eventually you're going to have to conquer fortresses, you know, like as Italian, you have to have a higher level up to be powerful enough to take down fortresses and conquer them, take down the overlords, build up your army, strengthen your army. So I really like how that's really cool. Like you can conquer an army and, and take over fortresses. You're going to have to eventually to advance and progress through the story. That That's something uh, that I really liked. I thought that was uh, really cool. So I'm glad there wasn't the whole microtransactions thing. Um, what else? I, I also like some of the expansion packs. I thought that was pretty cool. There are two single player expansions playing different characters. And I liked how um, there's even expansions throughout the regions in the open world, like um, outlaw and slaughter tribes, you know, like something one tribe called the outlaw, another called the slaughter tribes, you know, uh, there's like enemy captains. So you could also dominate or kill them as well. And I, I think that was pretty cool. Just adding more of a challenge. You know, I thought that was pretty cool. So in addition to writing and dominating uh, two creatures known as Caragors and Grogs uh, from previously, you know, that gameplay and mechanic is back once more. And in addition to that, there are these dragon type creatures. They're called Drakes. Uh, you could dominate a Drake, fly with a drake and then either use like uh, ice or firepower you know, breathing ice and fire so i thought that was um that's something that i really like i overall like my impressions of this game are really high it is definitely like really replayable i like um especially you know another way of like when you're in the mid air you can aim with your bow and arrow and as you're aiming with your bow and arrow mid air you you know you can slow down in mid air so that, i thought that was really cool as well you know a lot of these uh, uh, new skills additions i really liked 
if there's another issue regarding how the gameplay is, I thought um, a little weird how some of the skills that players are familiar with before that they had to acquire, you have to do that again. You know what I mean? It would have been better if like, you know, Shadow Strike, for example, was available by default, but you have to progress through and acquire it again with the skill points. But otherwise, it's just a minor, minor issue, but it's not the biggest of problems. It's just uh, something that I've observed, but it's uh, not a problem at all. It, it doesn't really change the fact that this is a fantastic game. I think one that's just underappreciated, but maybe initial impressions may have turned off some people, especially the whole microtransactions thing. But yeah, I mean, if you got it on, I mean, if you have a powerful enough PC, you know, it may go up above 30 FPS, but um, even if you have the newer PlayStation Xbox consoles, like, you know, I, I think this is one to get, especially like at a very affordable, cheap price, you know, so you, you probably know about the best of lists of some other games, but it's this one is not awful. This is a must-have in my in my humble opinion. You gotta get Shadow of War. Okay, so in recent days, or I should say, really in like the last two three weeks, actually, um, you know, there have been some major um, trailers for big blockbusters that are coming soon, whether it's in cinema or in streaming. Uh, so first, I think it was maybe two weeks ago. The first trailer was Avatar, The Way of Water. And, you know, first thought in my mind, just looking at it, it's clear once more, uh, a huge part of the grand scale is being presented once again. You know, especially, uh, I remember the name, this like alien looking blue Navi tribe. Yeah. And I expect, uh, I think it's already confirmed Zoe Zaldana will come back. But, you know, it again, there's still this grand scale people living or fighting for their lives, protecting their co colony. I could tell like there's this theme of family because there's this line at the end of the trailer I really liked, but also uh, is there anything between Navi and human relationship improving? I don't really, really remember. Maybe I might've seen it a second time, but I think it's a good idea to watch it just in time for this, this new one. But, um, you can tell like so like so much of it i i think you know just like the first film i think there's going to be so much more concentration of being more cutting edge high-tech visual spectacle kind of film i'm sure there's maybe a family themed sort of storyline of protecting each other as a family or whatever it may be you know because one of the characters supposedly has a young child um, but I can tell like, just like back in 2009 with the first Avatar film directed by James Cameron, I think this will try to push for the, the technology of using so many, so much special effects and CGI. And so this is where I think a huge part of the budget is, which actually it is anyway. So, yeah. And somewhere in the trailer, like it looked like construction scenes and drones and Looked like battling in a submarine. Uh, a line that I really like, someone said, um, our family is our fortress. So that line uh, is something I think that was really powerful and meaningful. So uh, I could tell like it, it could be a good movie. At least I hope so. 
I, I doubt it'll be like such a great story kind of film. Because I don't even remember much before, except, you know, two colonies fighting for each other or the humans trying to find some sort of special resource for their needs. Uh, that kind of storyline. Uh, okay. Second trailer, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. That's the second trailer I saw that came out in recent days. It's going to come 2023. That's already confirmed. When? Next year. Not yet known. But I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, I'm not really... It's not clear who or what the enemy is. A couple of th few things that I noticed in that trailer. New cast members. First, Haley Atwell and Vanessa Kirby joining the cast. That's for sure. Huge majority of the characters that, and actors, actresses that we're familiar with. Even... I think Simon Pegg, Vin Rames, Rebecca Ferguson, they're all coming back. That's a good thing. Of course, Tom Cruise is coming back. Uh, like a, someone, like a character in the trailer was saying, you know, the fight against the enemy is over or something like that. But as expected, like high spectacle action sequences, maybe something that we haven't seen before. I mean, who knows what's going to happen after, what's it been? Six or seven Mission Impossible movies and still one of the more popular highest grossing action franchises in the world so it's good to see like where the story will take ethan hunt i'm curious to know i like to see it where it goes i really liked fallout mission impossible fallout great movie and one of the best tom cruise films so that's uh that's definitely something i like so other than the casting members um the supposedly there's this actor he's supposed to be like a main antagonist he looks familiar. I don't know his name. I remember his face from that Titans uh, TV series. He played Slade Wilson. I think it's the second or third season. Or mostly in the, yeah, one of those seasons. I know that he played Slade Wilson. So I, ex I expect him to kind of be like more of an antagonist again. And, you know, what his role sort of means to the journey of uh, kind of storytelling of Ethan Hunt. Yeah, Ethan Hunt. So... Um, I, I think there's the impossible task of being just as good as, you know, whether it's, I think Ghost Recon, Ghost something, but definitely Fallout, a follow up to Fallout. That'll be tough to do. Um, okay. Definitely a big one. <clears throat> Thor, Love and Thunder. There's finally an actual trailer. This was released during halftime of game four of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals. So it's good that we finally got like a trailer. Much is seen, more of uh, Jane Foster as the Mighty Thor. That was good to watch, uh, kind of to showcase more of Thor, the female Thor. That was pretty cool. Nice to see Nat Natalie Portman back. Um, you know, I think after what happened in Thor The Dark World, she wasn't happy being this damsel in distress sort of thing. So she wanted to take more action roles after meeting Taika Waititi. And so that's really great. Too bad she wasn't back in Ragnarok, but it's fine. Anyway, back here. Of course, Valkyrie coming back. That's pretty cool. Expect more action sequences from her. Uh, finally, yeah. Um, you know, after all that anticipation waiting, we got to see what Christian Bale will look like as Gar, the God Butcher. Uh, those were probably the more memorable shots and moments of the trailer to me 
not just his lines. Uh, I really liked how he looked, kind of like this ghoul-like, ghostly look design. So much white paint. Clearly, like Christian Bale has a lot of body paint on him. It's nice to see a bit authentic look. You know, even villain-like demeanor, the sort of uh, greenish, yellowish eyes sort of thing, a mixture of those colors. Um, his demeanor... You know, vowing to kill all gods and all that. Uh, so that was something I really liked to see as well. Uh, oh, and even like in his scenes being shot in the in the trailer, like it was totally like uh, more of this black and white look. You know, so that was something I really enjoyed as well. Um, of course, by the end of the trailer, we got to see Russell Crowe, how he looks like as Zeus. It's good to see Zeus in the movie. Uh, me personally, I'm a fan of Greek mythology. I love Greek mythology, so I'm glad like parts of Greek mythology will be seen and explored further in this movie. That's very good to know and see. Um, also, early on in the trailer, I, I think this was a mistake because uh, we saw the mighty Thor with her helmet and then like Thor Odin Odinson without his helmet. Yeah, it looked like a weird mistake to me. He wears the classic Thor helmet, and she doesn't when they both look at each other. Even the helmet, like, kind of moved in a weird way. Like, there was something weird that was edited in that trailer when Thor was surprised that Jane gets to wield Mjolnir, you know? So, uh, if you watch the official trailer again, you'll notice that something uh, is a bit off-putting. It's kind of like... Uh, it looked it looked like to me a technical mistake, you know. And you know, I'm it's it's really fascinating someone like Christian Bale going from a major DC film franchise to a Marvel fr film franchise, even being the villain. I love this uh, post that I found saying like, "So here we go again, keeping that tradition alive. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain." And I love the irony of this post with Christian Bale playing the heroic Batman and then now he's playing Gar, the God Butcher. So I thought that was uh, kind of... I love that sense of humor there. Okay, so one more trailer. Uh, this time it's a Netflix film. It is coming very soon, actually, in July called The Grey Man, starring Ana de Armas, Chris Evans, uh, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, also in this movie. It, to me, it's... Again, once a more dramatic, high action type thing. It, you know, it just sounds like one of those cat and mouse see things. I don't know if it's like an official term. CIA operatives finding someone, chasing someone, battling a guy time and time again. And, you know, uh, high octane car chase sequences and crashing cars and trucks together, colliding and probably female assassin type thing for Ana de Armas character. It's fine. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if, once again, there's a lot of people viewing the movie on Netflix in July, but it becomes critically panned. I don't know how it'll turn out the results and the data, but um, I just hope it's definitely much better than Red Notice. As much as I'm a huge fan of The Rock and I like Ryan Reynolds, Red Notice, not exactly a memorable Netflix action film for me. So yeah, exactly. I covered all four trailers. So those are just my thoughts and reactions uh, regarding uh, 
those major motion picture movies coming soon. That's two that I mentioned that's coming in July, whether it's in streaming and the theater, and then one supposedly in December, and then another big one sometime next year. Um, so yeah, that's really it. That's what, just what I thought based on my own observation on those movies. All right, guys and gals, um, that pretty much wraps it up for the Films and Pixels podcast, episode 19. So that actually covers up all the topics that I wanted to speak on today. Um, th- for those that have listened and watched from beginning to end, really, thank you so much. I appreciate the time you took just to listen to me talk about a whole bunch of pop culture tech co- topics and all that. Uh, so if you haven't done so before, you know, watch the previous episodes, listen to them as well. Subscribe, like this video, subscribe to the channel, comment. It's good for engagement, helps an independent channel like this. So it'd be good for me as well. Much appreciated. And um, from from here on out, good day and good night. Mm-hmm.